0: You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Apparently, they're going to interrupt my, my pre-message stretching here. Let me stretch it out. No, hi. It's a full house. This is exciting. Welcome. I'm Fred. I'm one of the pastors here. In in Life, I mean, I love this. This is a lot of you guys that I don't know, which is amazing. It's the best part of this time of year is getting a chance to meet you guys. I hope that happens. Can't promise it's going to be today, but that's all right, right? We got a lot of time together this school year, and if it's all right, I'm just going to jump in because we got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to get kind of deep into the word this morning. So I thought I'd start out. This was kind of fun for me. Did anybody watch uh, the opening ceremonies to the Olympics? Anybody get a chance to catch that? a lot of you guys, right? okay, this is, you know, this may not have been your experience. This was this was my experience. I don't want to offend you if you really like the opening ceremonies. But I get really excited about it every year. I'm like, or it's not every year, right? It's every couple of years. And so I'm like, Erica. Erica's my wife's name. Erica, we've got to watch it, right? Let's, let's we, It's date night. we got a chance to watch it. Let's do this. And so we start watching. I'm not, and I'm a dork about it, right? Like, when are they going to do the torch? We've got to see the torch. We've got to stay up for the torch. And it took a while this year, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. And, and after a little bit, you know, there's only like an hour or two of watching people come into a stadium behind their flag before it stops being entertaining and it's just plain boring. And so we, we, we shut it off. We did. We, we shut it off. Didn't even get to see the torch. But the next morning I learned that I missed kind of a really cool moment for the world or for the Olympics, right? And it was right at the end. It was the last team to enter into the Olympic Stadium and it was the refugee Olympic team, right? You guys probably saw this at some point in the news, and it was these 10 athletes who came to compete first and foremost, but also to really represent right, 65 million people in the world who are displaced, right? who can't return to their homeland because of war or political conditions, and this, this moment that, that I missed, I got to watch it again in, in our replay, was, was really powerful because this giant stadium, right? Everyone is up out of their seat, and I'm sure it inspired a lot of people in their living rooms as well, and they're, and they're clapping, like, out of control. This team got the biggest ovation, arguably, one writer kind of talked about it, of, of any team that happened in that stadium. It was uncomfortable how long people were clapping, <laughs> And whenever people are uncomfortable, I'm a little curious as a pastor, like, okay, what's, what's making us do that, right? What's making this huge group of people want to stand up and just honor these people, right? There's something about that moment where, where as polarizing as our world is, as diverse as people are, right? They're, they're like, we have a chance here to show some honor to these people who didn't really get a fair shot in life, right? and it 's and it's hard to put our finger on exactly what that feeling is, but there 's one author that I really like he calls this feeling that this kind of collective gut feeling that we have the echo of a voice it 's the echo of a voice that that is kind of in our in our gut as though our common creator was saying like no the world 's the world 's not just, and we know it, and so we long for a world that's a little bit more right, a little bit more fair for folks. And I think you guys, as college students, you get this. You, it may not always be about refugees, but you get this about the world you live in. The more I talk to you guys, the more I hear you say, you know, college for me, it's not just about getting a job, making some money after school. I mean, it's, it's okay if you want to get a job after school. I'm not judging you, right? You want to eat. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> But I'm also hearing this other storyline that you want to do something with the skills you get here that's purposeful, that makes a difference, that helps someone out in some way, right? And so I know that about you. I think that idealism is the best kind, and it's part of why we love working with college students and why we've given our life to campus ministry. That there's another storyline kind of going on at the same time for you guys the storyline that you are eventually probably going to feel if you don't feel it already, and it's that the world can be a little bit discouraging, right? It can be overwhelming at times if you care to kind of really take stock of what's going on, what the obstacles are, right? We put the refugee crises in perspective, and we're not talking about this little group of displaced people. We're talking about one in every 113 people, right, that's displaced, that seeks asylum because they can't go back to their homeland. Right? And, it's, and it's a lot more than statistics, a lot more than numbers. Did you guys see this picture in the news a couple of weeks ago? Right? This, is, this is the real face of it, right? This is the real face of the refugee crisis. It was this Syrian boy, and uh, my wife, she showed me a, a video of this, this newscast of it, and, and it's about a minute or two of footage of this boy being pulled from the wreckage, from the rubble of his home, which has now collapsed on top of his family and his neighbors. And his family still buried in the wreckage. Right, and, and three of his neighbors, they died because his neighbor his neighborhood got bombed. And they pull him out and they set him in this ambulance and he just sits there, just shocked, just dazed. And the news the news anchor, she's in tears as she's reporting this. She's like, Look at this boy's eyes, right? And we should give this a second. We need to take this in, like, there's no tears in his eyes. Right? He's not crying. We live in a world where where children they don't they don't cry when their family gets bombed. And we know, like, in our gut, like, it's not, it's not right. It's not okay. But we have this, this overwhelming feeling of like, okay, so what do I do? What, what in the world can we do for him? It's like one piece of the puzzle, right? And, and, and trying to care, trying to really step into things and use what we have for good, it's like a, it's like a bad game of choose-your-own-adventure. Right, it's it's like, gosh, okay. So I know there's global poverty, but I know there's poverty in our cities, and there's violence in our cities as well. And this is America, right? right? There's like famine and water shortages. The environment is on the brink of disaster in so many ways, right? We could look at politics and think like, well, maybe maybe that'll help. But we we get kind of jaded even about our own politics. They're so polarizing, so divisive that even really dedicated, hardworking people feels like they can't get a whole lot done. We've lived, you know, in a, in a, in a year here where, where race and sexism has been in the news a lot, and we're starting to own the fact that, yes, this exists, right? This is in our nation's fabric. It's in our history. It's in our laws. It's in our institutions, Right? And, and thanks to social media, we're having to recognize that, like, okay, it's not just, like, in the higher-up places or the thing that Jim Crow started, right? It's not just institutional. In fact, it's playing out every day. People just like you and me, and there's video of it. It happens a lot more than we think. We start to take it all in, and, and, and we say, okay, but, but my life's pretty quiet. You know, and we live here on this campus, and I think it can be a little bit deceiving because it's a beautiful place, right? We have these multi-million-dollar buildings. We have these amazing, like, research projects going on on campus. There's a Starbucks, like, 100 feet from anywhere you are at any given time here, right? But we've kind of lost the language for even realizing, like, whoa, we've, we have some problems too, right? We don't even have, like, a category for, like, alcoholism anymore, Right We just call it like, oh, we' people are just going out, they're just having fun they're just doing college I mean, when is the last time you've had ten of anything to drink and thought that was like normal <laughs> it's not it fuels addiction right and and alcohol it's fueling sexual abuse on this campus it's fueling violence right that's a lot of the root of it. We live in a in a world right in a country where one in four women is sexually abused before she's 18. And for for men, it's one in six. On this campus, we have like an exploding mental health crisis, okay? It's not like a, a small percentage, and it's not just a little bit of stress. It's not that people are stressed out. It's that they're feeling like a crushing, debilitating weight of anxiety and depression, right? And these are just like the symptoms. If you didn't even go here, you could do a little search, and figure this out in a couple minutes. And so I, I bring all this up, and I, I kind of take our time with this this morning because it's, it's not just to be discouraging. It's not just to kind of be gloom and doom. But it's because I want to kind of unmask a tension that we all carry around with us. Right? It's like this invisible tension that, that, that we have in our lives. It's like on one hand, we're incredibly idealistic in the best possible way. We want to do something good with our lives. We have incredible potential, potential right? To create change, to work towards change, and yet we know the world is, is overwhelming, right? When we engage with it, it's discouraging. Right? We hear the echo of a voice, we want the world to be made right, and yet the world around us doesn't make it easy. And as a church, right? Christians, they want to do some good, they get together, and quite frankly, our answers haven't always been that great. We have a few tendencies, right? We can we can kind of bunker in or blend in. We bunker in, right? We we put up walls, we we gather together and it's really tight and really cool and the coffee's great, but it's like the big bad world outside. Let's keep it outside and let's do our thing. And the other extreme is the blend in, right? We're so concerned about being rejected, about being weird that we lose anything distinctive about Christianity, right? We kind of Ditch the gospel to have friends. I think that's the tension I want to talk about today, is that thing that you carry around with you or that you will feel at some point in your career as God takes you forward, right? And that tension, I think, points us to exactly where we're going to go in the Scriptures for the next few weeks and months, and it's what is our place in this world as Christians? Do we have a place? Do we have a role? Is there another way? Is there a way to be in the world but not of it? Maybe you've heard that expression, right? Is there a way to be in the world but not just kind of bunker in or blend in? I think the answer to that is yes. I mean, confidently, yes. I think we can. And it's not some new way, right? It's not like, hey, it's 2016 and we finally figured it out. You know, way to go, Illini Life. No, it's, it is a way that has been in the Scriptures for thousands of years, right? It's, it's not a new tension that people have felt. And the Bible has language to describe exactly that tension that we're talking about. The Bible calls it exile. Exile. Exile is longing for our true home but not being able to get there. Exile is, is believing that humanity was meant to dwell in a garden where there's abundance, right, with God. But we settle, and our experience tells us that, no, it's a city of scarcity, right, because we lost the garden. We can't get back to the garden. In our life, exile is tasting a little bit of God's goodness in like one part of our life, but knowing and fearing that at any given moment that is fleeting, that can be taken Away. And this is the theme of exile as we talk about it in the Scriptures. Exile is not just like a political reality for the displaced, right, of which there's many in our world. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual reality for all people, all humanity lives estranged from our true home. How the Scriptures invite us to understand the world and to understand Kind of the human. And so I want to say something here to clear the air about one thing. Like, are we trying to hijack this language of exile and say that, like, our lives here on this campus and stuff are, are, are you know, as hard or the struggle's as hard as someone who's fled Syria or Afghanistan or Somalia? And no, right? Come on. That's, that's not at all the point that we're making. We're just trying to have a language for understanding the, understanding the world as we see it. Right? The world as we experience it, the Bible describes to us. And the case I want to make is that we, we have something to learn. Right? We have something that we can learn from exiles. Because I think we, we've learned to see the world a certain way. right? We, we got into college. It's a great school. And we're like, well, I mean, things probably should work out for me right? Generally, the world works out for us. Like our internet's fast, our coffee should be hot. Dang it, the people that I like, they should want to date me too, right? And it's so, we're so offended. The world seems so wrong when that is not the case, right? When, when that breakup happens or when, gosh, the, the internet goes down, we're, we're up in arms, right? It says, oh, the incredible injustice has just happened to us. We think, man, I don't know. You know, not the Internet one, but the more serious ones, you know, like is this Christianity thing. It's not working out like I thought it would. Right? Maybe I'm not doing it right. It's because we've made it about us. We've made this all about us. And so what I would maybe encourage us with, or maybe it's really challenges us with, is that most of the world doesn't have that same assumption that that life is just going to work out well for them. Right? Certainly, the people that the Bible was written by and, and the audience the original audience who received these words, they understood this language of exile they didn 't necessarily believe that the world was going to work out for them. You see, these were people who were literally exiles at different points, right like most of the people that created this book were on the run they, they wandered in the wilderness for years because a guy with like six hundred horses and, and an army tried to kill them right and then and then after that, their parents. Their grandparents, their great-grandparents, everyone they knew as far back as they could think, they were all slaves. When they did find kind of a, a home of their own, they got invaded time and time again. There were people who just got crushed by one empire after another. And, the, and their loved ones, their friends, the people they knew, they either got killed or they got deported. Or they got sent to a foreign land. And this, I mean, that is the world that Jesus was born into. Right? He was born into an occupied nation. The Roman forces occupied the land where he was born. And, And not only that, they sent soldiers to Bethlehem when he was a baby. And the order was to kill every infant male under the age of two. If anything like that happened anywhere near our lives, Right? We would remember. That would shape us. We would feel that. We would be asking the same kind of questions. These, these are people who try to cling to God's promises, but they're like, where is our place in this world when it's pretty clear that things don't work out for us? Right? There were a people who had to act like they lived with that tension that we're talking about, like, okay, on one hand, I want to be faithful. I want to believe in God's promises and what he's doing, and that's good, and so they're going to cling to hope. But on the other hand, they have a very realistic sense of what the world is like and how bad it can get. So what I want to encourage us with is that maybe the perspective we need has been here for a while. And it's not like the bunker-in mentality. It's certainly not the blend-in mentality. And it's not just like this hollow, it's all right, everything will be okay mentality. It's an exile mentality. What if the true calling of the church, God's people, was to be an exile people? We're to be an exile people until God comes and makes his home among us again. What if we understood that to be a Christian, to be part of God's family, his church, was to expect that maybe things aren't going to work out for me, that we are going to meet resistance, that we are indeed strangers in a strange land. We're not the home team. And that God's question to us, God's question to those of us in exile is, do you want to follow me anyway? Do you trust me anyways? Because exile, right? Exile is not the final word with Jesus. And that's really good, right? Because this could be really gloom and doom, kind of all tension and terrible this morning. But exile is not the final word. No, Jesus steps onto the scene. And this is why it's so amazing what we have here. He steps on the scene and proclaims a new kingdom, right? He says that the kingdom of God is springing up among those in exile, Right In his kingdom, God, Matthew, the author that we're going to read, he calls it the kingdom of heaven because he has respect for God's name and he doesn't want to use it flippantly. He calls it the kingdom of heaven is God's rescue mission for the whole world. Right That, that God, a good God, a just God, is restoring his reign in all people and that everyone is invited to be part of it. And he's doing it, not by force, but by restoring us, you, me, people all over the world into his image, right? He's renewing our lives as a gift, and that is the gospel of King Jesus. And he says, anyone who wants is invited. If you want to know how to come home, here's how. And he starts out, and one of his earliest teachings in the gospels, in the gospel of Matthew, is this famous and and pretty kind of sweeping teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And, it's, and it's one that we're going to spend some time with this year. It's all found in three chapters of Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7. And So, you know, as you're reading on your own or wherever, that's where to look. It's about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to cover a lot of ground that we want to cover. And we're going to take it and think of it as, as your guide to exile, right? You've, you've put two and two together. That's where we got the title from. Okay, It's a guide for how to live in the kingdom, even when the world's going off the rails. And we're going, to take, we're going to take it, and we're, it's long, and there's a lot to it. And so we're going to break it up into kind of four major parts so that we have a little time in between to kind of digest what's really going on as a community here. Okay, And then this is this week right now where you are, this is part one. And the key question here is, well, where, where are we? Where are we? And it's all about getting our heads around this idea of being a community of people in exile and seeing how that helps us understand what Jesus is up to, and so I thought. You know what? We just need to get into it this morning, right? We're just going to dive in and see what all the fuss is about because it starts out with these twelve verses, and they're short and sweet, but they're pretty. Uh, I don't know. They're pretty jam packed. And anybody know what they're? they're called? The Beatitudes. Okay. Anybody know how they start? Blessed, yeah, yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the the meek, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And 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 they're really actually pretty famous, even outside kind of the walls of the church. They look. Awesome on like a get well card. Right? <laughs> and I think that there's a couple of reasons why, why we like the Beatitudes, right? Sort of the opening pages of, of, of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And I think one is like they're, they're kind of cryptic, right? And so we're like, oh, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. That sounds pretty good. I don't know what it means, but like I like it. Right? And the second is just, well, I mean, like blessed, right? Like blessed? Jesus is going to tell us how to get blessed? Be blessed? I want to be blessed. Like, let's not skim this, right? Like, we like that idea of like, oh, we've hit the jackpot. This, this is the, you know, the, the dead center of the Bible. I'm going to find out finally how to make it good for myself. And I think that our, our kind of perspective, our desire to be blessed can really skew the way that we read these verses, which are really saying much more. And so let me show you what I mean. I'm going to have the verses for you up here. And so that you guys can follow along if you want to use your Bible or your phone or whatever you do. You know, do whatever you got to do. Here you go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I say blessed. I like that better. We could try blessed. I might, use one, I might use them interchangeably. I don't know. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So pause and, and think about that one for a second. Anyone ever, ever try to be poor in spirit? How's that How's that going? I was going to have a great day. Was going to, it was going to be great. But Jesus said, turn it down a little bit. I don't know. Right? We don't know what to do. I want to ask, like, are these goals? Are these like character virtues that Jesus is asking us to aspire to? Like, I only like it if you're poor in spirit, if you're mourning. If you're not being persecuted, you're not doing it right. right? Is that like the 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 gist of these, these verses? Whatever happened to like, okay, God loves you. He died for you. He is willing to include you in spite of your character, right? In spite of your lack of virtue, right? That seems to be the clear message of of the rest of the Bible. And so we, we read these and we get really confused, like because I think we try and turn them into an owner's manual for how to get blessed. Right, and, that, and that leads us astray. And so let me say something really clearly as we start out. And this is my take on it. You're welcome to disagree with me. That's fine. Scholars are all over the map on exactly what these verses mean. Okay? They are still a little bit cryptic. The Beatitudes are not goals to attain to in order to get some kind of, I don't know, favor with God. They're just not. It's really hard to see them through that lens. They're not bad things. But they're not goals for us to strive for, something to work towards. So let me offer you maybe another perspective and okay, another lens to look through, and it's the perspective of exile. Right? It's all that stuff we talked about earlier. That's not just fluff. That's not just introduction. That's actually going to really help us understand the context of what's happening as Jesus starts into this teaching. You see, these, these, these huge crowds that are following Jesus around, right? He gathers these huge crowds and they want to hear him teach. And it's because they're desperate for answers, right? These people are. Right, so so their, their world they lived in, it told them that like things work out basically in favor of the powerful. Remember, they were an occupied nation, right? And God, well, God is close to some people, but namely it's, it's the religious elite, it's the wealthy, it's those in charge, Right? It's basically people who, who already think they have God figured out. Right? That was their understanding of religion. And so this new guy, Jesus, steps on the scene and, and seems to be saying something new. And, and what I want us to consider is maybe Jesus isn't addressing the people who are calling all the shots. He's addressing the people who aren't even in the conversation. Right? He's addressing people who are reeling from exile. Our Constitution, right? This is kind of a playful picture for you to, to think about as, as kind of a lens to look through our Constitution. It's got this section right up front. It's called the Preamble, right? It's the Preamble of the U.S. Constitution. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and we know there's more coming in the document, right? We know it's going to spell out all that stuff, and, and it's a good thing it does, right? But up front, that part's pretty good, right? It's a pretty powerful statement about where things are going. Right, And so maybe, and I would suggest this, a way to think about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes here right up front, this little opening stanza, it's a preamble. preamble. Right? It's a preamble to where Jesus is going in his life, in his teaching, even the Sermon on the Mount. Right? He's letting us in on what he's thinking, that God plays by different rules than the rules that they already know because of their culture and because of their religious culture that they're already used to. And so that's kind of how we're going to think about this as we read into this. Okay, so preamble. Jesus' opening proclamation, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. So in a world where God is close to the wealthy, to the religious elite, Jesus comes along and says, No, 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 guess what? God is close to the poor in spirit. God is says that the kingdom I'm building, it belongs to them as much as it belongs to anyone else. The poor in spirit, think of them as like the spiritual zeros, right? People who don't make any claims that they know about God already, that they don't have this impressive resume that they're real proud of, this future that they're looking forward to. And Jesus is like, no, blessed. They're blessed. The person who cuts your grass is as blessed as the person with a nice office. It's not a statement about how to get more blessed. It's a statement about who's included. Who's included in God's blessing that he's making available. And it's a powerful declaration in every age, I think. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted while mourning, breathing, in his day and age, and I think we do this too, is like we look at mourning those who mourn and like, okay, well, take it easy, you know? And it's a sign that God has withdrawn from them. Like, I don't know, you must have done something wrong and maybe it'll get better, maybe it won't. And, and, and Jesus steps in and he declares, no, 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 mourning is not a sign that God has withdrawn from you. It's just a sign that this world is as bad as, as, as I said it was, right? It's, it's exile, right? It's, it's longing for me. It's longing for me to make the world right. And he says there's news for people in mourning. There's good news for people who've been punched in the gut by life. Right? They're going to find comfort in my kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I mean, meek, I mean, we, you know, we don't use it a lot, but it's blessed who, are those who you know, don't push themselves forward. They don't push their agenda. They're not real assertive. Right? And there's this theme developing here in the Beatitudes. These first three are, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. It's kind of like the, the, the doormats of society, essentially. Right? These are the people that, that they're going to get trampled on. They're going to get stepped right over by people who are more aggressive, more powerful, more driven, more after it. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. You've heard the saying, like, God helps those who help themselves. Looks like God helps those who don't help themselves too, right? Right. He 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 doles out the rewards. They're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We're going rapid fire through these. In this one, I mean that I, you know, there's a number of ways we can go with this. This is a little bit confusing, but there's an author. His name's Dallas Willard. He's really influential. He wrote a book on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And what he suggests is this, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are people who struggle with perpetual guilt. Right? They, they scream inwardly to be made pure by God. Right? And so, paraphrase, blessed are those with the bad habit that they can't break. Blessed is the addict who's tried everything. They're not pushed out. They're welcome to come and drink and to be filled from a well that will satisfy them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Man, this is, I mean, let's just cut to the chase here. Like, if we were writing these, we would say, Good luck if you're merciful, you will surely be taken advantage of. That's how it actually works in real life. But God, again, is making this proclamation about who He is and how He works and the rules He plays by. And He says, Look, Mercy is not a sign of weakness in my kingdom. People who have received mercy are able to give and receive mercy. Right? He, in the Sermon on the Mount, is pointing forward, he's going to talk about the triumph of mercy over retribution, over retaliation. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I mean, that one messes with us, right? Because we like both of those, right? Pure in heart, that sounds pretty good. I want to see God. I want to see God. I got to be pure in heart. But, ooh, that's hard. right? Pure in heart is hard, and I think it plays mind games with us. And so I want to point us, again, not toward, like, how do you get pure in heart? How do you work that hard? But to this idea that Jesus is making an opening statement about how he works and how his kingdom works. And one of the things that he's going to call out in the Sermon on the Mount Right, is a version of religion that makes people look really good kind of on the outside. Right? He gets pretty irritated with this religious establishment that makes these long public prayers and wants everyone to know how generous they are. And it looks really good and tidy on the outside. And Jesus says basically, look, if you want to see God at work, you want to see God show up in your outer life, and you start with the inner life. It's about getting our mind, our heart right. That's what you really want, if you want to experience God. And he'll meet us in that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Wow, peacemakers. People who are stuck in the middle, right? Not necessarily appreciated by either side of an argument. And let's just talk about it. One of the biggest kind of tensions in our culture right now is between, I mean, painting with broad strokes like Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. And, and in like social media, if you are in one camp or the other, but you so much as hint that like, uh, I think I could understand a little bit of where they're coming from. You are immediately like demonized by a whole group of people, right? It's really hard to be a peacemaker, to be stuck in the middle but God points out in his kingdom, there's another way, that the way of teaching people how to cooperate, right? being willing to stick with it, be unpopular for a bit, instead of helping people fight and compete. Right? That's where God wants to take us. Right? Dallas Willard guy, again, he says, look, those who are willing to be stuck in the middle, those who are willing to be unappreciated by either side, they're like children of God. They bear a close family resemblance to God and his family. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then similar theme here. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right, there's, there's a whole lot there, but those major themes of persecution being misunderstood, being miscategorized, insulted. You know, our experience of those tend to be like, we're going we're to experience some social persecution, right? We're going to lose some social capital if our, if our friends find out that we're really into like Jesus. And that's okay, right? That, that's the world that we live in, and that's one kind of, of persecution. But let's not forget that this, this Bible, this wasn't written just for us who live in the Midwest. It's written for Christians all over the world. And right now these these words they 're not just like a way for us to have some self pity these are these, like Christians are martyred right and they're they're they 're genuinely persecuted throughout the world there's been videos released by extremist groups of Christians being executed for not renouncing jesus christ it 's real life and then we 'd never show those i, w- I wouldn 't show that at church. But it's not an exaggeration. Talking about persecution is not an exaggeration for Jesus. And the word he speaks into them is that he is springing up this new kingdom in the midst of their exile. And so when it gets bad, if it goes that direction, take heart. Don't lose heart. They're not. They're shunned by people, right? They're abused by people, but not by God. They're in exile, but they're not lost, right? They're not forgotten. They're not fools, God sees what's going on. He'll reward them. And they're in a long line of people before them who never saw, I don't know, life get happy or it worked out great for them. They never had that experience of their Christian faith and God says, look, they weren't off track. And that's the Beatitudes. That's kind of these 12... Short, I mean, they're really short verses right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but they come at you like a, just like a waterfall of like, truth. Like, oh, It is a lot to take in. And so I'm just going to be really straightforward and brief as we kind of summarize what he just said. And so what I want you guys to hear is that the Beatitudes, they are not these like artsy statements for the marginally religious who want to have it a little bit better. We've got to get out of the, the mindset that, like, oh, this is all written, you know, just, just for me to live my best life now, to live up to my full potential. The message of Jesus, right, the proclamation, the opening statements of Jesus are so much bigger than that, and he's inviting us into it. What Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes is that the world is upside down, and he's setting it right side up. He's saying that he is remaking the world, restoring the world, and anyone And everyone who wants to be a part of it, no matter what they've been told, is welcome. Is invited to come and be a part of the blessed life. Anyone has access to the blessed life. And the reason he can talk about the blessed life in that way is really important. And this is, if you take something away from the Beatitudes, this should be it, okay? That Jesus knows that the blessing in life doesn't come from who you are. It comes from who God is, right? And that's not just like a religious pleasantry. No, no, it's, it's real life that Jesus believes that your blessedness and life will not come from your circumstance. It will not come from things working out for you or you getting the job you want or marrying the person you want or whatever it is. They will come to you as a gift from God, right? Blessing is given as a gift from God. It comes from our connection to Jesus Christ. And that's where he's going to go. He's going to talk about that. He's got a lot to say in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. All right.